Turn again with me, please, to our Bible reading in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And we're going to look at the words of verse 14. This great anthem that the heavenly uh, choir sang when the angel, the angel of the Lord, announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds. Verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. I read in the past week that carol singing is good for your health. I believe it is. It's good to sing. It's bound to do you good to sing, and it's bound to do your spirits good. But spiritually, eh, it is wonderful to hear those old-fashioned gospel truths sung eh, to the glory of God. We enjoyed hearing the choir last eh, Lord's Day evening, and that is up that whole carol service is up in sermon audio and you also find it on Facebook but we enjoyed the choir singing that traditional French carol and it goes angels we have heard on high sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply echoing their joyful strains Gloria in excelsis Deo Gloria in excelsis Deo the chorus of course is in Latin and it's the translation of Luke chapter 2 and verse 14. When the angel of the Lord announced to the shepherds the wonderful news that Christ was born in Bethlehem, suddenly, as it were from nowhere, the angelic hosts of heaven filled the fields all around Bethlehem. Literally, what happened that night was there was an army of angels and they came to sound out the message of the Lord. They were reaffirming the message that the angel of the Lord had given to the shepherds. The multitude of the heavenly host can also be translated the soldiery of heaven. The soldiers of heaven. The angels are the soldiers of heaven. The Bible teaches us about their ranks. The Bible teaches us uh, about their, their different levels and their different authorities. We read about angels, we read about archangels, we read about Michael and his angels. They're, they're called in military style the armies of the Lord and the army of heaven nonetheless in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35. And now in this scene there's a regiment sent from heaven, a regiment of angels and they're sent from heaven and they're not sent to destroy, they are sent to proclaim they're sent to proclaim the birth of the infant saviour. And we read their praise. Glory to God in the highest. On earth peace. Goodwill toward men. This was the chorus. This was the refrain of the message. I am sure the angels never forgot that chorus. I'm sure those men sang it. By heart till the day that they died. They taught it to their children. And their children's children taught it to their children. Because it was something that was ingrained upon their heart and upon their mind. And the words which they sang tell us of an infant saviour who had been born. And they sang how God would be glorified through him. And how men would be saved by him. I love all of these carols. These hymns that proclaim the birth of of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we could put it like this. This is one of the very first Christmas carols ever sung. And certainly it was one sent down straight from heaven. And there's not many that you could say about that tonight. 
I want you to consider some truths with me from this uh, ancient carol that was sung by the angelic hosts of heaven that teach us about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, I want you to notice that it focused upon the praise of God's glory. The praise of God's glory in the highest. All singing should be to the glory of God, of course. We're not here to glorify ourselves. Singing, brethren and sisters, should not be a matter of entertainment. Singing should be a matter of edification. And the chief objective in all singing is the glory of God. We're here to glorify Almighty God. In praise, we're not here to glorify ourselves, to say what wonderful people we are and what wonderful choirs we can put together and what wonderful words that we use. We learn from the angels that collective praise is put together to glorify Almighty God. Way back at the dawn of creation, Job spoke about the angels. And he said uh, uh, in Job 38 and 7, The morning stars sang together when the foundations thereof were fasted. And all the sons of God shouted for joy. At creation, the angels sang. And at creation, the angels shouted for joy. In that six-day creation week, the angels were there and they saw what God was doing. And it enthralled them. It excited them. They, they were joyous as the result as they saw God put creation all in order. But they didn't stop at creation because up in heaven they still sing about redemption. Angels still are singing in heaven. There are most choirs in heaven and it's their task to uh, glorify God in singing. In Revelation 5:11, we read... I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne. Isn't that wonderful? As they sang at creation, they're singing in heaven. And they're round about the throne of God. And they're saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now we see these same choirs. And they appear at the birth of the Saviour. And they're there to proclaim his praise. They're there to proclaim his worth and his majesty. Man's chief end is not only to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It would seem also the angels also knew the catechism. Because man's chief end as it is the end of angels. Is to praise God and to enjoy him Forever. And notice it's the glory of God in the highest. In the highest. The highest decree of glory comes to God by the incarnation. By the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ in human flesh amongst men. God is glorified at the first advent. I read the lovely story, boys and girls, in the past week of a young boy out walking with his mother. And he looked up into heaven and he said, Mum, is there a God in heaven? And she said, yes, son, of course there's a God in heaven. And he answered her and said, well, wouldn't it be wonderful if he put his head down from heaven and showed it to us? But in the incarnation, that's exactly what he did. 
in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God showed us who he is. God showed us his glory. We see the glory of God the Father in the face of God the Son. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, we read, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The devil doesn't want the world to see the glory of God. And the devil doesn't want you tonight to see the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read in verse 6 of the same chapter, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, way back at creation's dawn, hath shined in our hearts, to do what? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Those shepherds who came and they saw the little infant in the manger, they were looking, as the Bible tells us here, at the glory of God. The glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, by his life, by his death, he glorified God. All his attributes, justice, holiness, mercy, wisdom, they were glorified as never before in the person of his son. Creation, of course, glorified God. We learn that. Even the very angels glorified God in creation. But it was Christ in his redeeming work through the work of the incarnation that brings us the glory of God from the highest heaven into our hearts and into our lives. I believe that it is the salvation of the lost that is the highest degree of God's glory. And of course, to make this possible, the Son of God became man. We were looking at the Catechism this morning. And could I refer you back to that same section? Uh, the, the, Son of man, the Son of God became man, God and man, in two distinct natures and one person forever. And how was it done? By taking to himself a true body, a reasonable soul, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her, yet without sin. The angelic host, they, they gave glory, honor to Almighty God in the coming of Christ, which was the hope of the salvation of the lost. God sent the Son. The Son came to work this wondrous plan of salvation, and it is the Holy Spirit who applies it to the hearts and lives of his own people. This was tidings of comfort and joy. There'll be many people, and they'll sing songs this Christmas, and you can look up the, the 10 best songs of Christmas. The 10 best songs of Christmas. I'll guarantee you Jesus isn't in any of them. But God is glorified in the salvation of sinners and through the coming of his own dear son. The angelic host, they announced the birth of the infant Messiah in his lowly manger at Bethlehem. And I think the contrast couldn't be any greater. Here we have the host. Remember the word host is army. The armies of the angels of heaven. They filled all of the fields around Bethlehem. And the, and the shepherds saw it. They saw it. They heard it. They heard it with their ears. They saw it with their eyes. And then they went to the manger. And they looked into the manger. And they just saw a little baby. 
lying in a feeding trough for animals. Do you think angels witnessed that? I believe they did. We read in 1 Timothy 3.16, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels. God was seen of angels in the second person of his own dear son as he was manifest in the flesh in those lowly circumstances they sang of his birth those legions of angels who filled the fields around Bethlehem that night they sang of his birth and then they saw him in the manger oh how the angels must have wondered this was all of, this was all part of God's redemptive plan the prince of glory had visited planet earth secondly this angelic anthem focused on the peace of god on earth not just the praise of god in the highest but the peace of god on earth the reference to peace many have taken it to mean the end of world wars the end of regional conflicts but over two thousand years since jesus came and we still have regional conflicts we still have world wars and we will have until the final trumpet sounds. The reference to peace, I believe, is a reference to Christ. Christ was on earth. And how do I work that out? We read from Isaiah 9 and 6. And one of the great titles that was given to Christ whilst he was here on earth, that he was the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace had come to earth. The Prince of Peace had just been born. He had come to visit amongst the sons and daughters of Adam's lost and ruined race. He came as that ambassador from heaven. He came as the great reconciler. To reconcile estranged mankind with almighty God. Because since the fall of Adam, our first parents in the Garden of Eden, mankind has been estranged and has been at variance with almighty God. But Christ came as the peacemaker. On the behalf of his people. He came to earth. Peace on earth. He's now on earth. He's now working peace out. Between those that are estranged from God. And of course the terms of peace were made known. By him. He, he knew what he had to do. In order for that peace to be enacted. He had to satisfy. The just demands of almighty God. The law of God. Had to be satisfied. All those demands of God's law, the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. Jesus satisfied them, not for himself, but for us. He fulfilled them for us. That was part of the way he was going to be the peacemaker. He came and he fulfilled the law. But he also satisfied the demands of the law. The demands of the law said, the soul that sinneth it shall die. So Jesus died to satisfy the law. Whilst all the time you and I should have died. But he died in our guilty room and in our guilty stead. And it was at Calvary's cross where the full payment was made in full. We read in Colossians 1 and 20. That he made peace through the blood of his cross. These were the terms. The terms were the law had to be satisfied. The penalty had to be paid. So Jesus on the cross, he fulfilled the terms because the Bible tells us 
that he himself made peace through the blood of the cross. We've been looking at that verse last Sabbath day in Hebrews 13 and verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work. The shepherd had to die for the sheep. The blood had to be shed. And it is his prerogative to bestow that peace on needy souls. And here in this turbulent world where we live, where, where man is at war one with the, with the, with the other, and where uh, individuals are at war with themselves, I, I'm glad tonight I can tell you on the, on the assurance of God's word, you can, know, you can know peace with God through the Prince of Peace. If you know the Prince of Peace, you'll know the peace of God. The great problem in our land today is people sue for peace, but they don't know the Prince of Peace. And it's not until you know the Lord Jesus Christ as the Prince of Peace that you'll know peace with God and peace one with the other. Jesus said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. What a gift. He came to give us peace. Troubled heart tonight, there is... Only one way that you can know that peace is by knowing the Prince of Peace. The angels sang of God's praise in the highest heaven. They sang of God's peace on earth. But they also thirdly proclaimed God's goodwill towards men. When the Lord Jesus has become your peace, there's, no, there's another important part to this. Carl, it's goodwill, goodwill towards men. God's goodwill is what? God's goodwill is his pleasure. God's goodwill is his favor. God's goodwill is his pleasure and favor to those that are chosen in Christ. Dr. John Gill in his commentary, he, he, he gives us an understanding of goodwill. He said, though all men share in the providential goodness of God, yet not in his special goodwill. Free grace and favour, but to elect men to whom a child was born and a son given, even the Prince of Peace. It was from God's goodwill to these persons, whom he loved with an everlasting love in Christ, that he provided and had appointed his son to be the saviour and to be the peacemaker. Now today, God's goodwill, his favour, his grace is proclaimed to those who have intentionally, deliberately broken his law. This is what the judge says. The judge of all men says to this congregation tonight, go your way, I want nothing to do with you. The judge of all men, he says instead, come. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, Isaiah 1 and verse 18, and though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. We read in Romans 8.32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Those closing words of the Bible are words of invitation. They're not words of condemnation. The spirit and the bride say, Come. Come. It's my final gospel meeting with you here in On Along for 2023. I've been privileged week by week when I've been enabled to stand in this pulpit to proclaim the invitation of grace. 
That wonderful invitation that invites sinners to come. It doesn't drive them from Almighty God. It invites sinners to come to Almighty God. I think it's an amazing thing that this vessel of clay can proclaim just as those angels did in the, the fields around Bethlehem all of those years ago, God's good will towards men. John Calvin's commentary is very helpful and I appreciated it very much. I told you a few months ago and I would say to all the young Christians in the meeting, uh, get to know John Calvin when you're young uh, and read his works and, and read his commentaries. They're, they're the most helpful of all. And in his commentary on, on Luke, he said, the angels speak of God's goodwill as the source of peace. And thus they inform us that peace is a free gift and flows from the pure mercy of God. Goodwill towards men shows us that the cause to be that God has been pleased to bestow his undeserved favor of men with whom he formerly was a deadly variance. Peace is a free gift. It's a free gift. It's given to you this Christmas season. It's offered to you throughout the year. And the peace that you can enjoy, it flows from the free mercy of God. What a merciful God we have. We stand back and wonder, the angels equally. Do you know the angels were equally amazed at the gift of God's peace to lost mankind? How do I know that? Well, I was reading in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 8 to verse 10. Let me just explain these words to you. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ <clears throat> and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Now that word principalities and powers in heavenly places is a reference to the angelic hosts. The angels didn't know what the church knows today. It was, an, it was a, an unfolding revelation toward them. The angel hosts, they were not privy to the secret counsel of Almighty God and how God could be just and the justifier of those that believe in him. But at the incarnation, they were being taught the gospel. The angels were being taught the gospel and it was being made plain to them the Son of God had to become the Son of Man. He must obey the law of God. He must satisfy the demands of the law of God and die on the cross and rise again from the dead. And it's only through his life, his death, his resurrection that man could be restored to the favor of God. And what the angels didn't know was revealed to them has been revealed to you. It's been made known to you. Week by week, it's been made known to you. These shepherds, they had to believe. They had to receive the good news of the gospel which was proclaimed to them. Verse 15 tells us they believed what had been revealed to them. They believed it. They only heard it once, but they believed it. You've heard it for nearly 52 weeks, and some of you still haven't believed it. That's just one year, uh, 2023. 
Verse 16 informs me that they responded immediately. They came with haste. They came with haste. Some people say, well, I'll get saved, but I'll not get saved now. Some young people say, oh, yeah, I know I should get saved, but I'll wait till I'm older. Some older people on their deathbed say, I'll wait a little longer. But these shepherds, they came with haste. Verse 17 informs me that they told others of what they'd heard and seen at Bethlehem. There's no such thing as the secret disciple. If you love the Lord Jesus, you'll talk about him. You'll tell others about him. You'll invite others to come to him. We'll close with something very practical. This angelic anthem gives us the pattern for celebrating the birth of Christ. Like the angels, may we love to sing his praise. May the praise of Emmanuel be your praise this Christmas season. May we learn from them to make Christ our peace. Make Christ your peace. If you don't know him, seek him. Rest not until you're at peace with him. And those that are at peace with God, I want you to learn, will be at peace with others. They'll be at peace with others. Spurgeon in his sermon on this text, it's some sage advice. And he, 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 in his sermon, he said, Now, old gentleman, you won't take your son any has offended you. Fetch him at Christmas, peace on earth. You know the Christmas carol. Make peace in your family. Is that not good advice for us all? Now, brother, you've made a vow that you'll never speak to that brother again. Go after him and say, my dear fellow, let not the day's sun go down upon your wrath. Fetch him and give him your hand. If there's goodwill, let's extend the hand of goodwill. Let's extend it. Let's, let's live up to it. That's the way to keep Christmas. Peace on earth and glory to God. And oh, if thou hast anything in thy conscience, anything that prevents thy having peace of mind, keep thy Christmas in thy chamber, praying to God to give thee peace. For it is peace on earth mind, peace in thyself, peace with thyself, peace with thy fellow man, peace with God. At Christmas and throughout the year, is it not good to practice goodwill toward all men? Spurgeon said, whilst we put no stock in the literal day, we can and should celebrate Christ's first advent. The old Puritans, they, they made a point of working on Christmas Day because they didn't believe it was right to celebrate Christmas Day. I told you a few weeks ago when I was reading about Calvin, Calvin kept the church's liturgy and the, and the calendar of the church. So the, the great reformer, he kept Christmas. But it was the Puritans later who banned Christmas. And they protested against the observance of it. But as Spurgeon said, but we believe they entered that process, that protest so completely that we are willing as their descendants to take the good accidentally conferred by the day and leave its superstitions to the superstitious. We don't put any stock in the 25th of December. We don't put any stock in the day. But we thank God for what the day tells us. And we can celebrate it any day. The coming of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Make your pattern 
for celebrating Christmas be. I look to um, verse 14 experience. Don't close, don't close your mind to what the angels sang. And to the truth that is taught therein. We're not talking here just about some emotional romantic rhetoric of some storybook. This is the word of God. Let's live by it. And celebrate the advent of Christ as it was done when he was